Time for Gene Shepard, humorist, after-dinner speaker, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for again to the land of the loving. You mean you don't know who played Percy Dove Tonsils, one of the great characters of television. Television, eh? And there haven't been many great uh, characters of television, eh? Possibly only the uh, the uh, the knight that galloped around and made people's t-shirts get clean instantly with the lance. Do you remember him? Well, you know that I met the guy that rode the horse that was the knight? In that commercial? Sure, that was a real person. That was not a mechanical horse. No way, was it, Al? No, sir. I mean, that was a real white tornado, too. And uh, they took that off the air, of course, when black consciousness got big. But uh, it was really a dynamite tornado while it lasted. <laughs> Whap. <laughs> Used to come in through the window, you know. Oh, yes. And I, what I like is those little scrubby things. You know, remember those little uh, bubbles that had uh, fur on the bottom that would walk around and eat their dirt eaters? I miss the dirt eaters. I do. Those were great characters. They were much funnier than the Muppets or Muffets or whatever those things are with the fur all over them. Would you please, uh, a little, uh, let's say, uh, a little plain, ordinary, uh, well, uh, wait, just a minute. i got to think of the right word now, please. Uh, a little ordinary, uh, uh, what's the word? How about a little, uh, how about some ordinary vulgarity, please? That's, that's pretty damn vulgar, isn't it? <laughs> that ain't exactly Toscanini or Tchaikovsky or even, uh, 
of even, I suppose you can say, uh, Winnie the Pooh or Alice in Wonderland. This is, not, this is not the world of the adult. So if you call it childish, it's not childish. It's, uh, it's primal. It's, uh, it's, got all the, it's got all the tender sentiments of a Neanderthal man who, uh, yes, that's Neanderthal is what it is. So it's not childish. Although Neanderthal men can be childish, you see. But to call it childish and just leave it sit there is to miss some of the more finer nuances of the Neanderthal world, which was a violent world and is a violent world. And so, uh, television, you know, and I'm not, I'm not anti-television particularly. I know I'm like pro. It's just there, you know, like a festering cold sore. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, this, this show was fascinating that I was on. It was one of the most interesting I've been around for a long time. And it was a four-part show. Four different 90-minute segments that were done. And the, the, the four-part show was about the automobile. Now, I mean a serious but funny show. And they, got, they flew people in from all over the country who were experts in various things, and they had some beautiful films made. One part of, one part of the show was, the, uh, was literally the history of the automobile. In other words, going all the way back to the very earliest days, has it occurred to you that, that one of the... Uh, this was one of my contributions to it. Well, I, was, I was called in on part of that. And, uh, the, you know, there's always a group of people who argue that the automobile is an artificial thing that's been... Uh, you know, people got this thing and they could do away with it, and, they, you know, it's an artificial... And uh, says, no, no, I disagree. It is a primal urge. It is one thing that sets man apart from the animals. He... He dreams of being ubiquitous. Man dreams, almost one of the very earliest things that man dreams of when he's a kid, of being invisible. This is a constant kid dream. And you see it running through many of the comic strips, where, you know, the, the comic book type things, not necessarily the strips, but where, where this character can be anywhere. And uh, Superman is never at a loss on how to get something. It does not take mass transit either. The thing about, about this dream is that you do it yourself. Now, this goes back as far as we can tell in ancient cultures. The desire to be able to move by yourself without any effort. For example, I'll give you an example of, of an ancient legend that illustrates what I'm talking about. What do you think the famous magic carpet legend is. Or if I have to explain it so you can understand it, the flying carpet. It's actually called a magic carpet. Later, uh, less uh, creative people call it the flying carpet. Uh, it was the magic carpet. In other words, the carpet was, this was one of the gifts that was given uh, by this genie, uh, the ability to fly anywhere uh, you go anywhere just by sitting on this thing, and it would take you there by yourself. That's an ancient, ancient dream. And only in our time has that dream actually come true for most people. Incidentally, also, and I'm not an apologist for the car. I'm just trying to point out some of the things you may not have thought about in relationship to the car. One of the reasons that the car, or any place in the world, I have been, and I've traveled around the globe now roughly three times. I mean, really circumnavigated the globe. I don't mean I took a trip to Paris. Everywhere I go, the one thing that they, that they, that 
it, it, they can't comprehend about America. And that they dream of having... Have, it's a dream in most parts of the world is to have a car and to be able to go things and go places. Now, we take it so much for granted here, we don't realize that the vast amounts of the world, this is just a thing that, you know, it's like discovering that in one country they can live forever. It's a fantastic dream. Because it's a primal dream. You know that tribal, ancient tribal legends are about warriors, even in the Indian world, our Indian, the American Indian world, are about warriors who could transport themselves to other places magically. This, this appears many, many times. Now, sure, they had a horse, but everyone knows you've got, you know, the horse is an animal, and you can get on the horse and you ride it. And even then, uh, that's why the horse was so unbelievably honored in the early cultures, because the horse was the first approach towards that, of being able to go somewhere, and it was, at, at the very beginning, it was the province of the royalty. Only royalty had horses. That's right, really. Uh, and I'm amazed, what the hell did you learn in school? I, I'm just curious. I mean, uh, people want, uh, people's education today is so shaky uh, and very, very thin. Uh, but one of the things that set the royalty in the, in the days when the horse was a very rare and highly honored, you don't think a peasant rode around on a horse in the days of Richard the Lionheart, do you? Are you kidding? What did they have? Well, he walked. That's it, period. Uh, he did not, you see, we always assume people have a means of transport. They did not. No way. And, and it wasn't until uh, many, many centuries had gone by that there was even any form of transportation that was available, even in the early days of the stages. Stagecoaches, by the way, were so valuable and expensive that people, uh, ordinary people, never could ride a stagecoach any more than ordinary people today take Caribbean cruises. They simply don't. The stagecoach was a highly, highly, uh, very, very valuable thing. Then later on, when uh, when when the, the so-called democratic ideals began to rise, and of course the affluence in the world began to spread, and technology and one thing and another, one of the great dreams was a self-propelled vehicle. And it goes back to da Vinci's time. Da Vinci, incidentally, had sketches of one. So it's not just Henry Ford. It's an old, old, I'd know, not the airplane, a self-propelled land vehicle. Do not confuse aircraft with cars. We are talking about a vehicle that traveled over the ground. Now, uh, back, back uh, in, of course, Da Vinci was not the first. It's the only one that's really survived. There were many before that. Da Vinci was not that great a genius. Everyone thinks, well, he originated these. But you see, he was influenced by earlier people. And it went on and on, many of which have disappeared completely. Uh, but the idea of a self-propelled vehicle goes back almost as far as man's mind goes back. So anybody who thinks that we can just do away with this thing overnight, it's like doing away with a dream we finally realized. It's not that simple. Now, uh, his dream has never been for mass transit. That's the thing I must, under, must point out to you. His dream has been a personal thing that takes him around. Not in a great, vast mob <laughs> where he is transported at the will of that thing. You must understand, 
the, 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 the mass transit, you are at the will of the schedule. You are at the will of where the tracks go. But the dream has always been free movement. And the capital letter is free. So here we are in the 20th century. We're the first people ever. The 20th century is the first century in which this dream has... Re and, of course, like every dream, it has its price. Oh, wow. Incidentally, the horse had its price, too. Not only the price of the horse, but do you know that the that one of the great uh, uh, descriptions that I read here about uh, two years ago, there was a on the air. We we had a 50th anniversary of one of the boroughs of uh, of uh, New York City, and there was a description of the 1890s of a hot summer day in Lower Manhattan, and the stench must have been overpowering. Thousands of horses, and. Uh, there were dead horses often on the street as long as a week before they could remove them. And uh, it was <laughs> so. If you think it was only it's only the car that makes uh, let's put it this way pollution, the horse did pretty good in its time. Are you curious when the term automobile came into being? Well, the term automobile was originally conceived as a brand name. It was not called the automobile. Uh, there was a there was a there was a device built by a man who called his device, and it was the brand name. It was called the automobile, meaning automatic mobile vehicle. Uh, then or self mobile auto meaning self. Then, uh, but prior to that, you know, it may interest you to know that back in the 1800s, the middle 1800s, there were self-propelled vehicles in Europe that, that had great steam engines that crept over the ground, over uh, a road, at speeds of around two to three miles an hour. And uh, yes, these things were actually traveled between cities, and they were the, uh, they were the really forerunner of the automobile that we know today, because it actually propelled itself. It was not like an, a train. You see, a train has a has a motor up in the front and it tows cars this was a device that had the motor in it it was a great steam engine with a guy up on the back shoveling coal and all this thing and it had huge wooden wheels and one of these today is on display in a museum in europe i saw this thing it's a fantastic device uh there is one on display in munich it's the actual one it's not rebuilt it's the actual baby sitting there in all brass and it had it had golden gargoyles carved all over this thing, and this great thing moved slowly down the highway, uh, what was called the highway in those days. And you know why they called it highway, by the way? Maybe there's some interest to you. Because the highway was always a roadway that was made on the high part of the ground to get away from flooding in the low part of the ground, where, uh, so it's called the highway. <laughs> and it was so this thing would go creeping along this uh, this very primitive roadway or highway, and people of elegance would uh, would buy a ticket on it, and they would wear their high silk hats and they would roll along at two miles an hour with the steam flying out of the back of this thing. And it was a fantastic thing. Well, this continued. They they continued to develop this thing for oh about a hundred years or so until. The early uh, 19th century, there were various types of these things used all over the lot, until finally they came to the point where 
where uh, they, they had actual steam, uh, in a sense, ground locomotives where they would drive along, and they were trucks-like. They would drive along the road with a big steam engine out in front. Some of these still exist. And uh, and they, they, they towed cars behind them. <laughs> well, then eventually somebody says, well, you know, wouldn't it be great if we took a, a, a carriage, actually a carriage, a little carriage, you know, that is drawn by a horse like a, like a chaise or, or uh, one of the uh, types of uh, a Landau, uh, one of the carriages of that type, and actually put a motor in that thing. Well, of course, they, the, the problem was to get a motor that small, and, the, and that, the big turning point was made when they discovered internal combustion. That is, they made the transition from steam to, uh, to a, a motor that actually combusted within itself rather than had an external fire that heated water. So that was the big change. And I will give you a, a large fig leggy with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me who invented that concept of the internal combustion engine. That was a guy that really caused the whole modern world. So it was long before anybody you know of. Long before uh, the days of uh, Ford and Edison and that crowd. Anyway, that, that made the difference. And uh, they, they, they used various, various fuels, different types. They, they did not have gasoline, of course, in those days that we know of. And uh, they, they used all kinds of coal oils and various things that were sort of derivatives of kerosene until finally they got to the point where they had a primitive form of gasoline. They were always distilling this petroleum and stuff until they finally got this gasoline. And uh, gasoline is an old, old phrase, too. And it might be of some interest to you to know where the term gasoline came from. Uh, well, it was, it was a phrase that was popular in the mid 1900 or 1800s, rather. And uh, it even appears one brief period, uh, a form of it appears in one of the Sherlock Holmes stories. We will not go into that. However, the gasoline made the difference. Well, then when they, when they began to experiment with these things, all they did was use actual buggies. They used buggies. They actually used buggies in which they build a motor in. And they didn't build anything special. They just took a regular buggy. And the early automobiles were buggies, made by buggy makers largely, and uh, they, they were buggies that had a motor in them. And some of those still remain. And, of course, the earliest one that, uh, that Ford made was, in a sense, that kind of a car. Uh, the curved dash Oldsmobile with the famous, it was, it, was, it was a true horseless carriage. And many of the early cars really were fantastic along that line. Uh, there are still some that are around that have been restored, and they, they look gorgeous. They look like royal uh, uh, coronation coaches, some of them. Really beautiful things with wooden doors and great lights hanging. And it wasn't until the mid-19... Uh, oh, probably the mid-1930s that the, the... In a sense, the, uh, the influence of the buggy continued in cars. And, and, you, and, and it still does today. For example, uh, the, uh, the Mark IV Lincoln has this little oval window in it. Well, that's what they call the Landau window. The Landau is from the Landau buggy. You don't know that the Landau is the name of a buggy. The Landau buggy. And that window, of course, was for a Landau was a partly enclosed buggy. And it had little tiny windows where the people, usually of elegance, could look out 
other people couldn't look in. That was the idea of that window. So you see a few of these things, these little traces of the buggy world, <laughs> still still cling to automobiles of one kind or another. Am I boring you out, or is this interesting? And to me, it's interesting. Uh, and you know that, that, that the horse culture, of course, created uh, a whole language that still remains in our language. I'm talking about the horse culture. Are you curious? Uh, what, uh, in fact, I, I, I met a guy that collects these phrases. Uh, he's preserving the language of the 19th century that is still with us, that will probably disappear by the early 21st century. And you probably use these things all the time. For example, uh, well, you want to hear some of them? Okay, how about, it's a cinch. Of course, that has to do with horses. Uh, how about horse sense? Horsing around. Shoot a dead horse. You've never heard the term. Beat a dead horse, then? You, you prefer that one, huh? Okay. How about your barn door is open? They always talk about locking the barn door after the horse is stolen. How about looking a gift horse in the mouth? Most people have never looked any kind of a horse in the mouth, much less a gift horse, but they always use the phrase, looking a gift horse in the mouth. How about straight from the horse's mouth? These are all, how about putting your cart before the horse? Most people don't know what a cart would look like, much less a horse. How about uh, quit riding me? You've never heard of, come on, will you quit riding me? All right, that's, that refers to the horse culture. That, uh, that was all, uh, of course, locking the barn after the horse is stolen is an old one. How about hit the hay? Okay. How about, well, I guess it's time to put on the feed bag. Okay. Well, of course, I might say very little of this uh, w w for, for the rock culture would not understand any of this. So, uh, no, no, they, they wouldn't understand it. How about, uh, how about hightailing it out? All right, that's from the horse culture, to hightail. Do you know what that meant? Well, see, there are certain kinds of horses that when they really start running, their tail hangs out. It flies out in the wind. That's hightailing it. That means he's really going. Boy, he's hightailing it down the road. Uh, how about uh, champing at the bit? The hell do you think that refers to? Does not refer to the pinto. Uh, <laughs> and incidentally, the horse still persists in our cars. The Mustang, the pinto. I can go down the line there. How about, come on, get off your high horse. All right. That comes from the fact that some horses are taller than others. And a man on a high horse often was the commander of a troop. That meant he's sitting down there yelling down at the others, get off your high horse. How about, oh, wow, you're really riding high. How about riding for a fall? You, oh, come on, Lori, don't nod your head. If you don't know, keep your head to yourself. Riding for a fall. You mean, you've never heard that expression? You're riding for a fall, baby. Well, you haven't heard that. Okay, how about it's a horse of another color? You've heard that one. See, these are all these things are, are come out of the 19th and, and 18th century. Of course, there's uh, to hold a tight rein on somebody. I'm going to keep a tight rein on you. How about curb your temper? Curb your temper refers to the horse. That's curbing your horse. You you. Uh, how about ride a hobby horse? Teamwork is a great one. Teamwork refers to a team of horses working together. That's called teamwork. How about 
kick up your heels. Right? How about, it's a real fine filly. You've heard that expression. How about kick over the traces? Kick over the traces. Well, what do you, what do you think a trace is? A trace is, again, dealing with a team of horses. How about feeling your oats? You know what that comes from. A horse, when a horse is fed oats, oats cause a horse to be unbelievably fractious. After a horse has been eating hay and grass, oats will, oats will put a horse really... You feed a horse oats for about three days and you, 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 know, you can't handle it. <laughs> and that's called feeling your oats. How about put out to pasture? Yeah, they put old L out to pasture. Saddle up. Okay. How about a dark horse? All right. You've heard every election is a dark horse, right? You've heard the term stirrup cups. You know what a stirrup cup is, Al. She would know that, but you know what that is, okay? How about uh, how about to spur action? Right, okay. Where do you guess that comes from? How about spur of the moment? Spur of the moment refers again. And, of course, we always refer to the car as having X number of horsepower. Right, okay. How about, man, you are a real horse trader. Now, a few of you have ever met a horse trader, but uh, horse traders were notorious uh, shifty guys. How about straight from the horse's mouth? Of course, we've used that one. And you know, there are other things that come from that culture that are out of the barnyard culture. How about putting all your eggs in one basket? Don't count your chickens before they're hatched. How about fly to coop? That means the chickens are getting out of the coop. How about, oh, wow, what a dumb cluck. Dumb cluck refers to as a dumb chicken. <laughs> How many of you are paid in chicken feed? Okay, bring it up there. And there are others. Some we can't use on the air. <laughs> You've been listening to Gene Shepard, humorist, author, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976.